Before we begin our study tonight, let's pray together. Baruch atah Adonai lahinu melech ha'olam asher kitsheno b'mitzvotav v'tzivanut la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I want to talk tonight about some of the appearances of God in Torah and where you can see Yeshua present in, in Torah. And I, I want to start with a passage uh, that's in our, our reading this week. It starts in Genesis chapter 32. So you can turn to verse 1. It's an interesting passage because it introduces angels uh, this week in this text. It says, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. When Jacob saw them, he said, this is the camp of God. And so he named the place Machanaim, which means two camps. And it's the, the connection place between heaven and earth. And then in verse three, your translation probably says something like this. Jacob sent messengers. But the word in Hebrew for messenger is the same as the word for angel, because an angel is a messenger. Not all messengers are angels, but there's a need to distinguish. And so in, the, in this translation, in verse 1, it's clear these are angels of God. And in verse 3, these are messengers sent by Jacob. Now, some, some people over the years have come to the idea that Jacob actually sent angels on his behalf. I'm not sure that's the correct understanding, but you could, you could draw that conclusion if you wanted to from the text. Uh, it says, Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of uh, Edom. So Jacob is about to have some kind of new encounter with his brother. This is the brother who was his twin. This is the brother who sold him his birthright. This is the brother who accused him of stealing the birthright. This is the brother who, who shared the same mother with Jacob. And their mother said at one point to Jacob, you better leave town because your brother's gonna try to kill you. Can you imagine if you've ever had difficulty with your kids, if there's ever been sibling rivalry in your family. It probably was mild compared to this. One mother saying of twins, he hates you so much he's going to try to kill you. You need to get out of Dodge. And if not Dodge, somewhere else. Now let's go to verse 24. This is a moment when Jacob is anticipating this encounter with Esau, and he doesn't know how it's going to go, so he's prepared for the worst. And one of the things he thinks could happen is that Esau, with his 400 men, could attack them, so he's going to divide up his family into different groups so that someone should be able to get away. But it says Jacob was left all alone that night, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now this is really a very interesting text because in one chapter we've got angels 
And then we've got this mysterious man who's wrestling with Jacob till daybreak. And when the man saw he couldn't overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that Jacob's hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go because it's daybreak. But Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. And the man asked him, what's your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have wrestled with God and with people and you've overcome. And Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he answered, why are you asking my name? And then he blessed him there and disappeared. Now look at verse 30. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because, you look at your text, it is because I wrestled with a man. It was because I wrestled with an angel. It's because I was hallucinating and had the worst dream you could imagine. No. He says, it's because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. Now, there are a number of scriptures that teach us that if you encounter God face to face, you lose your life. His, his radiant glory and holiness is too great. So the question is, how then can Jacob say this? And I think the key to understanding it is that God cloaked himself in humanity for this so that Jacob could encounter God and survive. Otherwise, this is the end of Jacob, when in fact, this is just the beginning for Jacob. Now, some people are really perplexed by this. I, I read a noted rabbi's commentary on this, and he said, you can make the case that it was God who Jacob was wrestling with, or you can make the case that it was an angel. And I thought, isn't that interesting that this noted rabbi didn't say you could make the case it was a man? So even though it was in the form of a man, isn't that an interesting idea? In the form of a man, it could have been an angel. In the form of a man, it could have been the Lord. And these words that I was just um, referring to are from a, an Orthodox rabbi who, who's not messianic in any way, shape, or form. But he said, according to the text, it could have been the Lord. Maybe it was the Lord. Now that raises a question. Can God appear as a man? Or is this impossible for God? Now it turns out that if you rule things out before they ever happen, if you decide certain things are impossible, when you read about them, you'll have to explain them away or explain them in a different way. And this is not going to be a comparison, but I want to set the mood with something. I had a friend who was uh, serving in the Navy on a submarine. And he was a believer, and, and um, he was new to the submarine. And he got out his Bible, and he, he was in terror because he was reading the New Testament and all the words of Jesus had disappeared. 
and he thought this must be, you know, like a, something terrible. You know, maybe, maybe I'm the only one left who's a believer. It turned out that he was reading a red-letter edition Bible. And in his um, sleeping quarters, they had red lights. And so all the words disappeared. <laughs> he couldn't see what was there on the page because the light wasn't the right kind of light. And I thought, you know, that's so amusing because we can get a perspective. There's got to be an explanation. So his explanation was something spiritual and awful must have happened. I'm the only one left. And even the words of Messiah have disappeared from the Bible. There's no record even of what he had to say. When, when we have certain ideas already that we're fixed in, it affects what we think is possible, and sometimes that can lead us to rule out certain things. Now, let's just ask this question. If you were a person who believed it's impossible for God to be physically present in the earth, even in the universe, you know, God for you would be invisible, he would be outside of the universe, he could be the creator of the universe, but he couldn't be present in the universe. You would have to read this passage we just read with certain understanding. You'd have to say, okay, it was a man, it couldn't be God, right? Why couldn't it be God? Because God can't do that. How do you know that? Because I already know that God is, all, is, is invisible, that God is outside the universe. If you have that kind of understanding, it's not because of the text. It's not what the text is saying. It's what you think and you're bringing to the text that affects what you could understand. Now, what if you think it's possible that God can appear in the form of a man? Then you could read what we just read and you could say, that could have been the Lord. Now, what if you think God can't appear as a man, but angels can appear as a man? then you'd say, it must have been an angel, right? It must have been, why? Because that's all it could be. It couldn't be God, because God can't do that, but angels can do that, and we know angels were around from the beginning of the chapter, so it must have been an angel. That's the explanation. Now let's do something else. Let's say, you're not the kind of person who figured out what God can do and can't do. You're interested in discovering what God can do and what he does. And you think that the Bible's true, and so you want to read it to discover more about God. When you read this passage and you come to the statement that Jacob made, this place will be called Peniel because I saw God face to face. What would that tell you? It was God. It was God. That's his comment. It was God. And he experienced God face to face. Later on in the, the weekly reading, there's another time when Jacob uses the term face to face. He's talking to Esau, 
And he says to him, after it's clear Esau's not going to kill him, at least not at this moment, he says, you know, it is so good to see you face to face. It's like seeing God face to face. Now, someone who thought if you saw God face to face, you'd be destroyed couldn't say that. But he was saying, you know, it's really good to see you, brother. It reminds me, I just saw God face to face. That was really good too. So in this passage, there's some ambiguity in the language, but it's meant to produce searching on our part so that we look carefully at everything. Jacob calls the place Peniel, which means the face of God. And it's because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Verse 31, so the sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Okay, let's, let's draw a conclusion about that limp. Was this just a dream then? Because if you have a dream, you can't be made lame in the dream. Is that correct? So he actually experienced what the scripture says. Uh, this one he was wrestling with touched his hip and his hip came out of socket And look what it says, verse 32. Therefore, to this day, the children of Israel do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. So this was not a vision. This was not a dream. It was a physical encounter. It was a real experience. And this name that that Jacob is given is the name Israel, Yisrael, which means the one who wrestles with God. Not the one who wrestles with men, though he did wrestle with men, but the one who wrestles with God. Now let's go to another passage in this week's reading, Genesis 35, verse 9. It says, After Yaakov returned from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again and blessed him. God said to him, your name is Yaakov, but you will be called Yaakov no longer. Your name will be Yisrael. And then he named him Yisrael. And God said to him, I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation, indeed a group of nations, or a congregation or community of nations will come from you. Kings will be descended from you. Moreover, the land which I gave to Avraham and Yitzchak To Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your descendants after you. Verse 13, I want you to take special note of this. Then God went up from him there where he had spoken with him. God went up. And the Hebrew makes it really clear. It means he went up. He ascended. He he went vertically somewhere, out of sight. Yaakov set a standing stone in the place where he had spoken with him, a stone pillar, and then Jacob poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it, and Yaakov called the place where God spoke with him Beit El, the house of God. So God appeared, and this is not a dream, this was a physical appearance. It, it uses very descriptive language to say the Lord made himself visible again. He could be seen again. 
God appeared and then God went up from him there. Now I was thinking about that, that statement, God went up. And it caught my attention because in Genesis chapter 17, verse 22, the same thing happened to Abraham earlier. When the Lord had finished speaking with, God, with Abraham, God went up from him. He went up. It's the same phrasing, exactly the same phrasing. So God, who is there with Abraham, went up. And so that got me thinking. That language is familiar. Let's go to Luke chapter 24, verse 51. While he was blessing them, Yeshua left them and was taken up into heaven. And so Yeshua goes up from them again. And then there's another account with more details. It's by the same author, Luke, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Yeshua is speaking to his disciples. This is the resurrected Messiah who's come up from the grave, and he's telling his disciples this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And remember what Yeshua had told everyone at Passover. He said, I'm going to have to go. I'm going to have to return to heaven so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. So Yeshua was saying in advance, I'm going to have to leave this place and go where? Up. Right? So after he said this, verse 9, they watched as he was taken up, and a cloud hid him from their sight. So try to, try to imagine that. You're there with him. He's talking to you. This is Yeshua who's, who's been resurrected from the grave. He's alive again and talking, and he's giving final instructions and he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. It's going to make all the difference in the world. And then it's almost like this, oh, got to go. And then he goes up in a cloud. Now, while they're looking intently into the sky, you're like, where'd he go? He was just here. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? <laughs> Isn't that a great statement? Now, I personally think these were probably angels. But they're described as men. Because we know angels can appear in the form of a man. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Yeshua who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. And I could imagine them saying <laughs> among themselves, the angels, he's always doing stuff like this. Do you remember when he was with Jacob? And, and then, whew, and do you remember when Moses was on Sinai? And whew, there he is standing next to him. 
And do you remember he's standing next to him and then he's over there and he's here at the same time and the Lord talking to the Lord. It's like, that Yeshua, he's tricky. So you see, you see something here. Now the text makes sense when you understand that God can come into this earth, into this world. It makes no sense if you've already decided that's impossible. If you believe it's impossible, then everything we just read you will have to explain away and explain differently than the Torah says, and you'll be left in this position where you can't really say that you believe the words of Torah anymore. You can't say that you believe the scriptures. You can't even say you believe Moses who wrote Torah because you'll be saying, well, I know what it says, but it couldn't mean that. Well, why couldn't it mean that? Because if it means that, if it means the one thing, it could mean the other. I've told you this before, um, but it was such a funny experience I had. I, I had lunch with uh, an Orthodox rabbi who um, was introduced to me by a mutual friend. And the friend was not Jewish, but had great interest in the Jewish people and in the Messianic movement as well. And he thought it'd be good for his friend, the rabbi, to meet his friend, the Messianic rabbi. And so we're together, and his friend, the rabbi, says, I can understand why he is, he's a Gentile, what does he know? Why he believes in Jesus. But you, you're a Jew, how could, how could you believe this? And I said to him, it's even worse than you think. Because I believe he's not only Mashiach, he's Adonai. And he, you know, I saw, oh, it is worse than I thought <laughs> at that moment. But I just wanted to be straight. I, I didn't want to, like, baby feed him, you know, spoon feed him just a little bit at a time. I wanted to give him the hardest part first, see what he would do with it. Could he chew on it or not? So his response was, that's impossible. I said, really? Are you sure? He said, it's, it's impossible. And I said, so you are sure of that. That means you figured out the one thing that's impossible for God. Are you sure God cannot come as a man? And he said, well, it's it's." It's a, you know, this is how the language is going. It's a, okay, it's not impossible. And I said to him, be very careful because everything you had just said is based on it being impossible. But if it's not impossible, you got a new problem. Is it true? And uh, it was a wonderfully uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> Friendly, but uncomfortable because I was just going to, I wanted to press him. You know, do you understand what you're saying? It is so convenient to say, God can't do it because if he can't do it, then he didn't do it. But what if God can do it? Do you see what a big problem that is? 
That's, that line of reasoning actually broke my, a stronghold in my own mind before I was a believer. But I, like uh, many young Jewish people, love the sport of argument. Yeah, it, but it was more of a sport because it, it wasn't even important what position we were taking. It was, it was more important that we won. Can anybody relate to that? You know, like, this is so much fun, let's just argue for the sake of arguing. And it was always friendly, but... <clears throat> so I had a friend, um, right after we got married, we were having a conversation, after Sandy and I got married, and he said... Um, for some reason, I don't know why, he said Jesus could not be the Messiah. And he was, he was a nominal Episcopalian. <laughs> nominal means in name. So he was born into an Episcopalian family. And he, for some reason, said it's impossible. I wasn't a believer in any way, shape, or form, but I thought I could win this argument. <laughs> And so I said to him, it's not a question of possibility, it's a question of fact. If he is, it doesn't matter what you think. He is. And if he's not, it doesn't matter what you think. He's not. So it's just a question of fact. Is he or isn't he? And my friend couldn't argue with it. And so he's, you know, he was stuck. He couldn't argue it's impossible because he had no facts. And I left him with this uncomfortable position. As an unbelieving Jew, I'm saying to him, it doesn't matter what you say is possible or not possible. The only thing is what's a fact because that's what's true. Now here's the problem. After I won that argument... It started like gnawing on me. <laughs> Is it a fact? Yes or no? And I'll never forget um, one of the elderly Jewish guys who came to the Lord in Budapest. He was an architect and a, a highly respected architect. And one day at a meeting of the Holocaust survivors group that we had there, I, I can't really explain this other than by telling you what happened, whether you think it's strange or not. But Katishua, who is uh, uh, the leader of this small group of Holocaust survivors, everybody in the group was a Jewish Holocaust survivor except her. She was a young gypsy woman. And she really wanted people to come to the Lord, but nothing had happened over the first three years of the group. And one day she prayed during the group, and she used this Jewish way of speaking to God. She called him Urakevalo, which means eternal one or almighty and eternal God. And only Jews use that in Hungarian. And so she, she just said, you know, like, Urakevalo, come, please. And without anything else, 
the Holy Spirit fell on all these different Holocaust survivors, including this one guy, the architect, who, who just knew that the Lord was the Lord. He just knew Yeshua was the Lord after that. Everything changed for him. And all these Holocaust survivors came to the Lord. And, and this fellow had a strong and wonderful personality, and he was telling all of his Jewish friends about Yeshua. And one of them said, that can't be. And his answer in Hungarian was, it's a fact. And he basically said, it doesn't matter what you believe or what you don't believe. It's a fact. And he led a number of people to the Lord on the same basis. It doesn't matter what you thought. And so it really, it really goes to the heart of something. If you've already figured out how to put God in a box and what he can and cannot do, you don't need the scriptures because you figured everything out about Almighty God, the creator of heaven and earth. Good for you. But the chances are, if that's what you did, that you didn't get it right. Because if you can put God in a box, you have to ask, how did I get God in a box? If he can't even be on earth, how did I put him in a box? How did I confine him? How did I restrain him? And it's worth, it's worth checking your own pride and self-confidence and re-examining this and doing at least one thing, and that is reading the scriptures to see what they say, to find out what they say. And if they say something that's different from your point of view, I would encourage you to consider changing your point of view. Because the scriptures are breathed by God. The scriptures are filled with wisdom and truth. And the scriptures have more wisdom than you and I together have. The scriptures can make us wise about salvation and Messiah. It's a fact. It's a fact. And once you understand some of that, you can have the joyful chutzpah of being able to communicate the good news to all kinds of people who, who otherwise can't get it because they've already put God in a box. And the God who you don't believe in is the one they don't believe in either. So if you can just both agree, none of us is going to believe in that God that fits in your little box. We're going to believe in another God or at least examine that. It can open doors and cause great things to happen. Well, I want to close with that thought that uh, you might ask this question. Can God use you to share scriptures with other people so that they might discover things about God that they don't know? Can God use you to tell the good news of Yeshua? Can God use you to show how God appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to Moses, and so forth, so that the claim of the apostles that God came again down to earth and made himself visible, that this claim will be built on the foundation of the Torah and not on someone's opinion or imagination or religious uh, training. But let it be that God can use you. 
And if you get that holy chutzpah and that joyful light chutzpah, you know what? He'll give you opportunities to speak to people. And some of them will end up being like me. And they'll say, huh, maybe it's a fact. And look at me now. <laughs> I won that argument, and now I'm a believer. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Thank you that you could reach a person even like me. Thank you that you can tear down strongholds. You can break open people's understandings. And I pray that as you opened up Jacob's understanding about who you were and who you are, and as you opened up Abraham and Isaac and the sons of Israel's understanding, you would do the same, not only for us, but for those in our families and those we care about. And that you would use us in a mighty way to bring good news about Messiah to our people. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. We're going to close with Aaron's blessing. And would you please rise? If you are by yourself, I would encourage you just to shuffle over a little bit so that you're not alone. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you. The Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.